Please be seated. One of the repeated lines in the song here, verse uh, one of the song, and then in uh, verse two in the second stanza, it says, Thou of God and man the Son. It said in the first stanza, the fourth stanza said, Son of God and Son of Man. Uh, without a doubt, one of the one of the deepest and most challenging things that the scripture teaches us is about the deity of the Son. The the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And and this year in uh, my reading through John, I, I think I've referred to this a couple times, but in John fourteen six, the Lord Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is getting close to his arrest, and he's having this talk with his disciples, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you guys know this version, you even have it memorized. And then he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. And then he says, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, listen to the next line. This is really interesting here. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Philip is, is really having a longing. He's struggling the Lord Jesus leaving them. This is a an unwelcome division that's going to happen among them. And the Lord has said these lines. And Philip says, Lord, show me the Father. He's, he's lacking this, this, this bit of faith that, that really, really gets that they are in the end of the age and they're being guided to the, to the realm of the eternal land of the Father. He says, Lord, show us the Father. And look at what the Lord Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? What is the Lord Jesus saying there? you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. And that just must have been a stunning thing for for him to hear and, and to try to understand. You need to try to hear that. You need to understand that. Heaven's God took on flesh and dwelt among us and taught to us, preached to us that we would know the way to eternal life with him. Please open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. The faith of saving religion. Faith of saving religion is what we will be considering here this morning. Spiritual life, you and I all know spiritual people. Spiritual life doesn't doesn't mean Christian life, but it's spiritual. We know spiritually minded people. Spiritual life in a Christian profession is pride and vanity 
until a person is, is made to know their bankruptcy and their need of a savior. Religion is vanity. Spirituality is, is worthless until a person is brought to really comprehend their true need for a savior and then who that is, how that works. And, and what's amazing here is that this chapter of Romans, um, I just happened to notice it this week. I should have noticed it a long time ago. But this chapter of Romans gives us a look into the soul of a man who, who is arguably one of the best theologians ever. Paul is probably the, the smartest and most thorough theologian there has ever been. And, and obviously we don't have to prove that, and I'm willing to accept there are other great theologians. But this chapter of Romans takes you from a person who has a very well-developed theology and understanding of, of everything Scripture had to say about God and the covenants and, and how spiritual life was to be lived And yet, here in this chapter, he explains or expresses to you and I what it is that brings a person to know salvation. There's a difference between having all your theology down and having salvation. Those are not the same things. And he explains, we're, we're going to study his testimony here. For the next, I'll try to keep it to 40 minutes or less if I can. <laughs> this is really very, very remarkable. Theology is great. I love theology. But I love hearing a person share their story of salvation, their understanding of even where they're at now in light of theology. Your testimony is a valuable witness to God's work in Affecting salvation. And Paul shares that with us. Look at chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? He asks. Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. This chapter has now become a, a narrative in the first person. Paul is saying, this is what happened to me. The law exposed my covetousness. The law exposed me as a sinner. That, that's theology, but that's theology happening to him. And this is what we're going to drill into here. Look at verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? This is personalized theology working. This, this man's soul is, is asking, in a sense, why did I die? 
Or do you people think I am saying that the law killed me? This is a personal testimony. He says, no, certainly not. That's not what happened. But sin produces death through the commandment. He's been in the process of teaching that to us. Two weeks ago we were in there. Sin produces death through the commandment. The law exposes sin. The law has exposed sin in Paul. And what he has been communicating, what he's writing down and is expressing, sin is producing death in him. A Christian's testimony, your testimony, must come to the place where you see, you comprehend, sin produces death in me. Not that sin is death. Not that sin is bad. Sin produces death in me. This is what he has said in his testimony here. Look at verse 14. He goes on to say, We know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That phrase, sold under sin, is used twice in the Old Testament. It talks about a wicked king who is so horribly sinful. He's referred to as being sold under sin. But this is actually a pretty key verse here in verse 14. And this is kind of, I guess, where we're going to end up departing from or this is where kind of we're, we're going to jump off he says the law is spiritual i am carnal sold under sin paul in in explaining about his own understanding of of where he was somewhere in his earlier years and and as this you know we we, we know he was confronted with christ on the road to damascus is where he is converted to Christ and more likely than not, the next 14 years are him, if I could put it in my words, figuring out how he got off the tracks. How, how did I miss the Messiah? What, what was wrong with my theology so that when he came, I became an antagonist to him and to them? It took Paul years to work that theology out in the desert of Arabia is how he refers to it. But when he says the law is spiritual and I am carnal, sold under sin, we see that there is a kind of an alienation between him and the law. There's there's something we already know he has an affection for it. He sees it right, but he also finds himself... um, separated from it. And so we're going to hear as, as we study through this how, how theology gets applied to the heart of a person who is in the process of realizing they're a sinner and then ultimately how they are directed to hope and trust in Christ. This Don't miss that this man, please listen to me, This man is as religious as they get. In our context, he never missed a meeting at church. 
He went to the best school there was to go to. His professor, Gamaliel, was the, the religious teacher of the world in his lifetime. He is not a sort of adequate man. Paul's training is just so far beyond you and I, not only his training, but his mind. He's just a very, very intelligent man. So this this section is going to help you and I see how you can have so much in terms of the knowledge and yet be blinded to what saving faith would be. God's life giving law. Look at, you'll see that phrase there in verse 10. The commandment, it said, which was to bring life. When, when he says the commandment which was to bring life, you are listening to this man in his, in his understanding of the law's purpose for him. In, in the way he related to the law in years past, His religiousness and his relationship to the law was for what? It was for life. He says, that's where I was. The law was to bring life. This was my, it it was my comfort. It was, it was my direction. This was my, my compass. The law was for life. But he discovered that the law brings death. It says that right there in verse 10. You see it? That's how the verse ends. The commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. This becomes a matter of confusion to him. We're going to consider for a moment his confusion. Then it it turns to a a kind of a new understanding. He he walks us right through from confusion to a, a new kind of understanding and conviction. And then faith, saving faith in Christ. He walks us through these three things in this passage here. Look at verse 14 again. We know the law is spiritual. I am carnal, sold under sin. And he begins the next phrase with the word for. So he's beginning, he's going to explain. He's going to give us the reasoning. The law, spiritual. I am carnal, sold under sin. For, he says, what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, and that's a similar word there to that word carnal that we looked at at uh, verse 14, carnal and and spiritual are contrasted up up there and here in 18 he says I know that in me in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good I do not find for the good that I will to do I do not do but the evil 
I will not to do that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin. Sin that dwells in me. I find then, he's progressing in his thinking, I find then, now I know, now I realize, a law, evil, is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So he walks us through, which is maybe an an abbreviated uh, testimony of sorts, but this is his testimony. This is a, a, a short version of this very religious man's experience of the laws working on him and exposing him as a person who is indwelt with sin. And I don't believe that's what anybody actually had intended to find. Even you, coming to grips with the idea that sin is something dwelling in you, just waiting for an opportunity to prove you're a sinner again, is something we only understand by the scriptures. So this this passage is teaching you about a heart. The heart and the mind are coming together here with the theology of damnation and salvation. Man's anti-lawness, a Christian's anti-lawness, is because of carnality. Fleshliness, that, that word carnal and the word flesh in what we're seeing here is this. It's you. It's, it's the stuff that makes you you in the material sense. He says it's in you. And he says that law and carnal do not go together. Law and carnal do not go together. What do I mean? Can a sailboat sail 100 feet beneath the surface of the sea? Yeah. There's, there's no wind. There's, there's none of the mechanics, none of the physics for a sailboat work. 100 feet below the sea. They don't go together. What do you need? You need a submarine if you go down there. Law and, 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 and 
the flesh of man do not work together. They are the wrong kind. They are incompatible with each other. This is something that's coming out of this testimony that, that Paul is teaching us. He says, carnal and spiritual, he discovers, are in antagonism with each other. Does that make sense to you? Law and me-ness, law and me are like vinegar and oil. Right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's been teaching. There is a conflict between his will for the law. There, there is something in Paul that I, I, I believe from his conversion, there is something in him that admires the law and likes the law and approves of the law. Right? But he also is honestly seeing something else in him dealing with the law in a different way. What is that called? Rebellion. Sin. Antagonism toward the law. So the love of God and the love of what's right is there somewhere in Paul's will. And he knows that's right. But there is a steady, and I, I don't really know how to put this, but there is a steady popping up within him antagonism toward what's right. There's, there's, there's this conflicted reality of his own person that he is in the process of experiencing. Coveting, for example. You might generally feel, I don't, I don't struggle with covetousness. But every now and then, it, it just pops up in you for a, a, a car you want, or a watch you want, or a shirt you want, or a chair you want, or a circumstance you want. Covetousness, just like, boom. And sometimes you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get that. I'll, I'll get that chair. I'll, I'll, I'll get that paint. And sometimes you're like, that's absurd. Why would I even want to? You, you'll find these Conflicts appearing in your conscience. Lust will do the same thing. A, 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 a lusty impulse will come into your conscience and into your heart. And, you, and, and sometimes you may, you don't want your, to yourself, why, why would I think that? Why would, I, why, why would that happen to me? And, and you, you find your own soul being vexed Another one that I thought of is what I called spiritual self-defensive maneuvering. Spiritual self-defensive maneuvering is, is, is you have a theology about something. You have a belief about something. And then when you read in the scripture or you hear preached and defended in the scripture that you've been holding an odd position, you want to maneuver around it. You, you, you want to put away what the scripture says about that thing and you want to hang on to the thing that you think it should mean instead. And so we will come up with ways like maybe, maybe six-day creation is offensive to some people. Maybe sex in marriage only is offensive to some people. And, and the 
the, the scriptures that would speak about that, we, we can find a way to justify and maneuver and, and be restful in our conscience. There's a lot of things, I think, where people can make these maneuverings in their conscience and, and, and maneuver themselves out of the way of, of God's word. All this is to say, there are things that happen in our minds and in our hearts that are rebellious to the Lord and His Word. And this is what Paul said he's discovering. Paul speaks about the difference between his will to do what's right and his ability to do what's right. There's a, a conflict in them. Look at verse 16, he says. Uh, I say, but look, listen to what he says in verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, in general, he wills to do good. In general, he wills to do right. But if I do what I will not to do, he says, I agree with the law that it is good. In other words, he found in himself as he works through his, his will and the law and his actions. What he found was this. He goes, when I know that, that this is right, just use truth telling. He, let's say he, he feels and knows the conviction to tell the truth is right and then lies. He says that is a proof to me that the law is right and the law is good. And I am doing something wrong. That's all he meant by that argument. He says, I know that it was right, but I don't do it. The law is good. The law is right. That, that is an affirmation to him that that is true. In me, I want what is right. But I can't do it. This is what vexes him. Verse 17. He says... Now it is no longer I who do it. As this religious man is looking at his own life and thinking about what the law is revealing to him, about what, what he wills about right and wrong, he says there is a law here. He says it's no longer I who do it. Now this is a very interesting thought. This is a gospel-only thought, my friends, because he says it is sin in him that is doing it. This is a very profoundly important realization that is taking place as this man's testimony of the gospel. What does he learn? What is the gospel showing him? He goes, there is a, a, a duality in me and what I have learned, Paul says, is sin is in me. It is in me. In me is sin and me. Isn't that interesting? Both of us are here. Sin and me. 18 to 20. 18 to 20, he explains the theology of depravity in himself. Now, you and I have used the word depravity. Depravity means sinfulness. Men are sinful. 
Depravity means the, we, we are corrupt by nature. Corruption is in men. Is corruption in you? This is Paul. Paul. Paul's explaining the theology of depravity in himself. He says, "I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells." He came to believe that this was the truth about him, as he understands this 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 will and this doing that are in conflict when it comes to the rightness of God. In me, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. I want to do what's right. I want to be right. I want to please the Lord. I want to be a truth teller. I don't want to be a coveter. I don't want to be an adulterer, a luster, a murderer. When the Lord Jesus says that, that, that anger is, is, is murder in the bud. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Very, very religious men like Paul knew that, that it didn't only refer to murder. Paul knew that, that deep anger is like murder. Paul, Paul would have known that, that this is the same kind of issue and so as he's explaining this, as he's working through what he's learning about the difference between his will, he went on to say, for to will is present with me. And then what does he say? But how to perform. How to do it. To will is in me. I want to do it. But so many times I just do what I don't want to do. How to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. This is the theology of depravity, but it is coming out of a man's testimony. saying, I understand this about me. This isn't theology. This is me. This is me ruined by this evil that dwells in me, in my members. And verse 20, he says, Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's depravity. We could also say he is saying, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. Paul walks us through some of the thoughts that that lead him to understanding this amazing truth. That's what you see in those three verses. He comes to this realization. Wow. Look. It's not something I managed to avoid a couple times a day by doing what you do to stay an upright Pharisee, right? What he finds instead is that this is just in me and we can't do anything about it. I was born with evil, constantly ready to do against what is good. Evil, he says, is in me. Not bad, not accidents, 
Not slip-ups, that's what we like to call sin, right? Slip-ups, accidents. Evil. This great, mighty, religious man discovers a theology of depravity and sin. And spiritually speaking, it's a disease. And it is death that is killing him. That's how he describes it. It's a death that is killing him. That he finally comes to realize. Verse 21 to 23, he explains it a little bit more. That it is a law. Verse 21 to 23. um, Turn the page here. I find then a law that evil is present with me. Me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law. He's describing it as a law. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity on the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, this is a law like the law of gravity, and this is how he is uh, explaining his understanding of what the law of sin is. Sin isn't something you trip into occasionally. Sin is actually in you, just popping out. It is a law. Just like gravity. He speaks about being, from his will anyways, he speaks about his will being at odds with his own actions. His will is unhappy with the outworkings of this law, but this law that is working on him, enslaving him, is doing its work of evil anyways. It's a law. The will to do good is present with evil. The will to do good is present with evil. It's a law. Do you realize that? You need to realize that. This is your sin nature if you're a Christian. This is your agreement with God's prognosis, with his, with his analysis, with God's proclamation of your condition. This is sin in you. And it's not something I will occasionally do. It is in me. It is dwelling in me. It is evil. I will not to do it, but I keep doing it anyways. Paul comes to dread and actually fear the work of this law. When he says at verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. We, we hear him coming closer and closer and realizing that this indwelling sin, this law at work against his will, is a terrible, terrible end. What does he say in verse 23 and 24? Bringing me into captivity... To the law of sin, which is in my members, 
O wretched man that I am. What, what he finds is true because of the law of sin. What he discovers is true. What he knows to be true because of the law of sin means for him, I am a wretched person. Now, this, this, is, a, this is an interesting thing for him to say. If you go to... Uh, Revelation chapter 3 real quick. Don't lose your spot in Romans. Revelation chapter 3. This law work on him, the law of sin in him, evil in him, working on him, is it's, it, it, it's like weather on a stone wall. A hand-built stone wall is, is great the, the year that it's built, but as the years wear on, as, as the seasons come and go, over time, they slowly erode a little bit. They slowly break down. And the only way to fix it is to shore it up and to rebuild it. But the law of entropy ends up ruining things like this and makes it wretched. Paul sees this thing making him wretched. Look at what wretched is here in Revelation 3 14. Listen to how we hear the word used here. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Book of Revelation speaks about the wretchedness of men who are blind to their sinfulness. They are so alienated from God, they're right on the brink of his judgment. They're isolated from their wretchedness from what in Revelation? Why are they blind to their wretchedness in the book of Revelation there? They're comfortable. They're rich. They have everything they need. But God has proclaimed to them that they're wretched. This, this wretchedness is a, a, a needy situation. Wretchedness is a, an impoverished situation. Wretchedness is an ignorant situation. When Paul says, I discover the law of sin at work in me, I can't do anything about it. My will sees it. I don't want to do it. I do it. 
I'm a sinner because of the law of sin. The law of sin is producing death in me. I am a wretched man. I am a wretched man. <clears throat> if, if, if you don't ever see and sense your wretchedness, ask the Lord to take away your ignorance. Ask the Lord to remove your comfort and your satisfaction. Because until you and I see that, that, that low place of neediness and lostness, being lost in your sin, until we see that this is what sin has done to us, you don't seek the Lord for salvation. You don't seek the Lord for his righteousness until we realize that we are the low of the low. You don't go to him for salvation. Now, back here in Romans 7, when he says this, a wretched man that I am, he asks this question, who will deliver me from this body of death? His, his sense of what sin is in the process of doing and what sin does and what it can do is, I can't fix it. I now know the sinfulness of sin. I now realize the death of death that is sin. Who will deliver me? That's where the testimony of this man finally goes, is the, the grip of the law of sin and destruction and the death-producing sin in his life isn't something he can manage or mitigate with his changing of his habits, going to a different church. He says, who will deliver me? He needs a deliverer. And this is how he ends the testimony. This is how he ends this passage. His testimony is a, is a gospel testimony. He says, who will deliver me? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, his, his walk through understanding depravity, his walk through understanding the slavery and the death of sin brings him to the place where who will deliver me? The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the deliverer. Christ is the hope and the rescue from sin. Now, real quickly, real quickly, as you're thinking about how he ends that testimony, let's look at the beginning of the chapter as we close. He says, do you not know, brethren, I speak to those who know the law. Now, he's just told us some things that he's learned about the law, right? At the end of the chapter. But this is how he introduces the chapter. I speak to those who know the law. The law is dominion over a man as long as he lives. The law had dominion over me. The law would take me to death as long as I live. The woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. You're released from the law of sin. When? When you die with Christ. When you die with Christ. If then, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, 
that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. He's talking about depravity's work on the man who is living in the law of sin. And he said the only thing that comes from it is death. But when you die with Christ, when you you come to the deliverer, when you know the one who can save you and deliver you from your sin, then you come to this place. Finally, verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. His testimony is in the from, from the middle of this chapter to the end, and, and he uses it to describe this process that he opens the letter with. It's a great chapter of a testimony of a very, very, very successful religious man who only found salvation when he learned of how sin held him a slave and the Lord Jesus came to offer deliverance, to rescue and deliver him from the power of sin. Think through this this afternoon. Think through the law of sin and its work on you and how it is that you are to be set free from sin. If you haven't walked through this process of of understanding your wretchedness, spend some time with Paul here in this chapter. Think through what it means to be a wretch who needs a sinner because who needs a Savior, not a sinner. This is meant to point you to the Savior. It's meant to point you to the Deliverer. Listen to that testimony of Paul and praise the Lord for sending us a Deliverer. Let's pray for a minute.